0: Central Sanford podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. Wow, what a mighty God we serve. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. Amen. You know, it's amazing when it rains outside, sometimes uh, people just uh, decide they want to just turn over in their beds. And I just want to thank you all for being here this morning. And we have many that are watching online, and we just want you to know that we love you. So, church family, let's give them a hand this morning. (laughs) We're so thankful for you joining us online. And and I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Genesis chapter 13. Uh, Genesis 13 is where we're going to be this morning. And we're continuing our series called Walking by Faith. And uh, what we see is that faith calls us uh, to leave the known for the unknown, calls us to trust in the God of the impossible, and faith calls us to take our hands off of our lives and to be a blessing to other people. And my prayer is, is that this morning, you will make a choice for faith. You'll make a choice for faith this morning. Let's stand as we read God's Word in Genesis chapter 13. We're going to begin in verse number 1, Genesis 13 and verse number 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him to into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and in silver and in gold and he journeyed from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first and there God called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Pezzarites, uh, next to the termites, were dwelling in the land. Now Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go right. And if you take the right, then I will go left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and whilst Lot settled among the cities of the valley, and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you, and your offspring Forever you may be seated. Some people love making decisions. Some people hate making decisions. I don't know about you, but after the services, one of the biggest things that we struggle with in the Brumbach household is decide where we're going to eat. Maybe some of you this morning, you're going to have that decision as well. Maybe you watching online, you're just going to, uh, you've already got that figured out. Maybe you've called somebody and they're going to deliver it soon. Well, I don't know if you know this, but according to Cornell Research, uh, the University of Cornell, or Cornell, which not. That's not, if, if you're Andrew, Andrew Bernard fans, you'll get that you can't make up make fun of Cornell. And that was a joke only for me and a handful of office people. But anyway... According to Cornell University, uh, we make about 35,000 decisions every day. Now, you say, how does that happen? Well... According to their research, they found that out. As a matter of fact, 227 of those decisions are about food alone, some more than others. But anyway, as your level of responsibility increases, so do the number of choices that you make. And so today you'll make certain decisions. Some are going to be very menial, some will be unimportant, some may be crucial and life altering. Think about just the decisions that you make. Uh, we go from what shirt should I wear to where should we go to eat to where uh, should I uh, spend the rest of my day to What should I buy? Should I buy this? Should I not buy that? And we go from that to... Big questions like, who should I marry? Or what church should I invest my life in? Or how should I raise my kids? Or what should I do with my life? And the issue is that in our day, especially our day, is technology has placed information at our fingertips 24-7. We have all gotten to the point where we try to, most of us try to research everything and anything we can before we make a decision. So we go look for reviews. Uh, Many of you, I mean, think about this. Before you buy something on Amazon, you look at the reviews. At least I hope you do. And you want to inspect everything and make sure that you're getting the best deal that you can and what I found that most of us are afraid of making decisions without all the facts and so if that's you this morning you're in good company because that's most Americans but here's what you've got to understand when it comes to following Jesus we don't always get all the facts that we want when it comes to following Jesus we have to walk by faith we have to trust in what God says and so I love what Bob Goff says in his book about love, and he says this, he says, every decision we make is driven by love or fear. Who we toss the keys to determines where we end up. Every decision that you make, every major decision that you make, is either going to be driven by fear or by love. And who you toss the keys to will determine where you end up. And so this morning, we are continuing a series looking in the life of a guy named Abram or Abraham. Remember last week I told you that Abram means daddy and Abraham means big daddy. And so we are in a series talking about big daddy. And God is called This daddy to be a big daddy and he calls him out of spiritual darkness and personal hopelessness to a land that he would show him later. God promises to bless him and to make him a blessing to the world. And so Abraham moves out in faith and so last week we saw that Abraham left where he was and entered into the promised land that God had told him to go to and and we see that God didn't give him all the facts. Now at the very beginning of the call, he enters into the land and the Bible says that there was a famine that came into the land. And then after this famine, you're gonna see, as we said this saw this morning, is that there's gonna be fighting in the family. And so as soon as Abraham decided to follow the Lord in faith, trouble happens. So many of you think, well, if I just give my life to Jesus, all my troubles are gonna end. Is that true? No. As a matter of fact, following Jesus isn't easy, it's extremely messy. And so at the end of chapter 12, Abraham's going to make a very bad decision. He's going to choose fear over faith, and he's going to go to Egypt rather than trusting in God. But in chapter 13, he's going to make a good decision, a decision that's based out of faith, not fear. And in chapter 13, we see two different men. We see two different men with two different ambitions. One man by the name of Abram is going to choose by faith. And the other man by the name of Lot is going to choose by sight. One's choice is going to lead to a blessing. And the other's choice is going to lead to disaster. So let's look here this morning at these two things. Number one, I want you to see the decision of Lot. As we read a moment ago, Abraham left Egypt. And he left Egypt, the Bible says, a very rich man. Uh, Now, The reason that he left Canaan is because there was a famine in which there was no water and no food. And so he left the the land of Canaan in a famine and he was broke. But he's going to leave Egypt a wealthy man and blessed. And see, God is going to bless Abram despite his lack of faith. See, Abram went to Egypt because he didn't trust God to provide for him. But yet God, even in the midst of a lack of faith, is going to bless Abraham Because his promise to Abram is, I am going to bless you. And the overflow of Abram's blessing overflowed to his nephew Lot. So Lot was blessed because Abraham was blessed, and the Bible teaches us here that he was a very rich man with livestock and silver and gold, and so God multiplied his camels and his goats. And so verses 6 and 7, this blessing of God that they got in Egypt, and these... And in terms of livestock and riches and servants, were just too much for these two men, Lot and Abram, to stay in the land. The Bible says that the land could not support both. So, this blessing provoked a problem. Now, blessings can provoke problems, and sometimes those are good problems to have, right? But the question is how do you deal with a blessing? See, it's in, 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 in the midst of, of, of life, when things are troublesome, when things are problematic, we, we kind of look at one thing, well, this is the way we should act. But how do you handle a blessing? Well, here, there was strife and division. The family had overstayed their welcome. Lots and his, uh, and his men were just causing strife and turmoil. And so Uncle Abin, verses 8 and 9, comes up with a proposal. This proposal was going to deal with the issue at hand because Abraham realized that the stuff that they had accumulated in Egypt had now come between he and his nephew. So what Abram does is completely unheard of in an ancient patriarchal system. Abram is going to ask for a separation. We've been too long together. And so you're too many, we're too many, we just can't do this. So what Abram does is he gives the lesser man, his nephew, the first choice. That's unheard of. That's absolutely unheard of. That's like if you're a parent and you have a cake at home and you give your kid the first choice on the cake. You don't do that. It's like the choice of the last brownie between you and your sibling. You are the one that gets the the brownie. And so here Abraham says this. Abraham says, you choose right, I'll go left. You choose left, I'll go right. He gives the choice to Lot. So what does Lot choose? Well, the Bible tells us he chose the east. He chose uh, the uh, Jordan Valley. He chose the area of Sodom. He went to the southeast of where they were because he, was in, he wanted to be in the southeastern conference. And um, that was a better joke in my mind. Listen, if you guys, if you guys can't follow these corny jokes, it's going to be a long stinking sermon, all right? So the Bible says that he lifted up his eyes and he saw the Jordan Valley, that it was well watered. So when when Abraham gave Lot the choice, Lot looked at all of his options. He looked right, he looked left, he looked east, he looked west. And he made a choice based on one factor and one factor alone, what was best for Lot. And so Lot chose the gold mine and gave his uncle Abraham the shaft. As a matter of fact, in verse 11, the Bible says that Lot chose for himself. Now, I don't want you to get the impression that Lot was some sort of godless loser who didn't believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lot actually believed in God. And and we'll see this as if you were to follow the story of Lot, you'll see that he believed in God. But... In this moment, even though he knew the God of Abram, he doesn't take time to pray. He doesn't do any kind of consultation with God about any of this decision. He chose for himself by himself because to Lot, this was a business decision. In, in Lot's mind, he wanted prosperity. He wanted to be rich. So for him, he wanted the prosperity of Sodom more than he wanted the promises of God. Now there's nothing wrong with wanting to grow financially, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But not at the cost of your soul and not at the cost of your family. Because financially, this was a great decision for Lot. I mean, financially, he's going he's to be rich. He's going to be wealthy. He's going to be very well established. But it's going to be spiritual poison to him and his family. See, if you were to follow the story of Lot, Lot's going to be very successful in Sodom. But he's going to be successful at the wrong thing. Here in this verse, he's going to move next to Sodom. Later on in chapter 14, he's going to move into Sodom. And eventually in the other chapters, he's going to become one of the most well-respected leaders in the city of Sodom. But here's the problem. If you follow the arc of Lot's story, he loses it all. His family is ruined. His wife turns into a pillar of salt. Salt his daughters are going to do some of the most despicable things to prolong and keep up the family name because that's what they think daddy wants. He had wrong priorities. You know, as parents, and some of your parents in the room, sometimes we can have the wrong priorities. Sometimes, as parents, we can prioritize making money rather than spending time with our kids, or we can prioritize our careers over our kids, or we can prioritize so many things above our, our relationship with our wives or with our families that there are some parents that prioritize their kids being involved in so many other things other than the things of God. There are so many parents that want their kids to excel in sports or or in academics or in theater or in dance. And listen, the older your kids get, I'm learning this, the harder it is to figure it out. Because it just seems like inevitably every practice is on a Sunday, every game is on a Sunday, every practice is on a Monday or a win, or on a Wednesday or some other time where you could be spending time with God's people. I know that right now my boys are are now playing football. They've done soccer. They've done basketball. We tried baseball for a season. And now they're into flag football. And listen, they are ready to go. As a matter of fact, one of my kids yesterday, as soon as the game was over, I mean, he was doing great. He came to me and said, Dad, how many fantasy points do you think I would have gotten today? I mean, he is all in it. And some of you, you are, listen, it's a proud dad moment seeing one of my sons do well. Both of them did very well yesterday. And then my son last night was in a play. He was the big bad wolf in Little Red Riding Hood. Big bad wolf. And it's amazing. And some of you, your kids or your grandkids, they're doing amazing things. But here's what you've got to understand. Here's the truth and reality. Your kid is probably not going to be professional. Professional. Your kid's probably not going to be a a superstar, but here's what the truth is. They are definitely going to go to heaven or hell. They probably won't be a professional, but they're definitely going to heaven or hell. So why would we sacrifice spiritual things at the altar of temporary things? You know, sometimes I feel like that it seems like some parents are more concerned about where their kids go to college than where they spend eternity. And so, Lot here chose what was best for himself. He chose by himself, for himself. But the question now is, why did he choose that? Because I don't think Lot thought, well, you know what? What's going to be the worst for my family? What's going to lead to ruin? No, he thought this was going to be the best for his family. Sometimes what you think is the best for your family is actually the worst for your family. And the reason is it comes down to why. Your motivation. In verse number 10, we see a little bit about Lot's motivation, that when he looked into the well-watered Jordan Valley, he, the Bible says that he saw that it was like the garden of the Lord. See, when Lot looked at the different options, he looked to the east and he saw something. He says it looks just like the garden of Eden. Now, when Lot looked, it was something bigger. It was something spiritual. And what it, what we mean by this is that For Lot, this was his moment to prove himself. That apart from his uncle, he could be happy, he could be fulfilled, he could be somebody. See, his decision here is deeper than just financial prosperity. He was an insecure man who pursued the land because he wanted to be something and he wanted to be somebody. He wanted to prove that he wasn't a bum, he wanted to be loved and approved and valued. See, the reason that you and I pursue what you and I pursue is always deeper than just what's on the surface. Ultimately, we pursue things, we make decisions to be loved, to be lovable, to be valued, to be approved and accepted. And what it goes back to is it goes back to the garden. In the Garden of Eden, all humanity lost the approval of God. Sin destroyed our relationship with God. And so the human condition is that everyone is trying to get back in the garden, everyone is trying to get back where they feel approved, where they feel loved, where they feel valuable. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. When you and I look at things and we say, if I had this or if I had that, then I would be successful. Then I would be happy. Then I would be fulfilled. Like if some of you say, you know what? If I just had a better job, I would be happy. If I had a bigger house, if I had a happier marriage, if I had successful kids, if I had more money or more notoriety or more likes on social media, then and only then, then I'll be happy. What all of that is, it's a search for the garden. It's a search for significance. It's a search for contentment. It's a search for satisfaction. And what Lot did is he saw the things of this world as being like the garden of God. And he thought that if he could just make it there, he could make it anywhere. But the problem is is that those things will never, ever fill you up. They'll always let you down. Because Lot does not just want to get rich. He has set his heart on riches, believing that they will complete him. Lot's decision here is not just to get rich, but that to be rich so that he can be somebody. Lot's decision here is based on fear. It was a fear of missing out. He is afraid that this is his one and only chance to be the man he wanted to be. And so this was his decision. This was his moment to be his own savior. But here's the problem. Lot wanted the garden of the Lord without the Lord. And the problem is you can never have contentment without God. See, what Lot thought was a garden was actually a wilderness. And some of you are going to make decisions thinking that if I can just have this, if I can just do that, if I can just be with them, if I can just experience that, then I'll be happy And it always leads to ruin. Because anytime you have the garden without God, it is a wilderness. So that's the decision of Lot. But now I want you to see the dependence of Abram. I want to go back to this decision that Abram made when he gave Lot the choice. See, Abram has three relationships in this story. He has his relationship with his nephew Lot. He has this relationship with the Lord and he has a relationship with his wealth or his loot. And so when he gives this decision to Lot, what he's doing is he's keeping his relationship with Lot. He probably understood that his nephew was a very ambitious man who was always looking to show that he was not a bum. And so he gave this decision to Lot and thus kept his relationship with Lot. Because here's what Abram could have done. Abram just said, listen, son, I'm going here and you go there. Or Lot, if you don't like what I do, we can go to war. But no, what he does is he gives his nephew the decision. And in doing so, he keeps his relationship with Lot, but he also keeps his relationship with the Lord because he trusts God with the choice. So where does Lot, or where does Abram open himself up? He opens himself up in his relationship to his money. Because in going to the wilderness, and going to the Canaan land, rather than the well-watered Jordan Valley, he was opening himself up to financial ruin because it's hard to grow sheep in the desert but when lot makes this decision abraham was fine with it why because when abram gave the lot when he abram gave the choice to lot it shows us where lot or where abram's trust really was abram's trust was not in his money see Abraham did right by his family and he did right by his God. But when he gives the decision to Lot, he really wasn't giving the decision to Lot. He was giving the decision to God. See, when he said to Lot, you make the decision. You go right, I go left. You go left, I go right. He wasn't really giving that to Lot. He was giving it to the Lord. Because he was abandoning himself to God's sovereignty and goodness. That whatever Lot chooses, God, that's what you want for me. And the reason why he comes to this point is because he had just gone through a situation where he didn't trust in God, where he tried to control the situation, where he tried to manipulate things. And here, essentially, what he's saying is he's saying, God, I want you. You take me wherever you want because I know what you want is better than what I know I think I need. I trust you. The question is, how could Abram do this? How could he abandon himself to the sovereignty and goodness of God? He did that because of the call. You remember that call, that God calls him to leave the known for the unknown, to trust in the God of the impossible, to take his hands off of his life and be a blessing to others? He could only do this because of the call of God in his life. And the only way that you could ever trust God with your life is by the call of God in your life. Hebrews chapter 11 sums up Abram's life. And the Bible says here that by faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance He went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 9, by faith, he went out to live in the land of promise as a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promises. But notice verse 10 for he was looking for a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was looking for a city that has foundations. See, God's call in his life changed his foundations, changed his priorities. He looked for something greater to base his life on to find his value in and meaning from than money, fame, and power. See, Abram didn't just get his value or his identity for what he had or where he lived or what he did. He found his value, his identity, and meaning in something deeper. There was a deeper foundation in his life that held him up. Here's what I've learned in my life. If you change what your life is based on, it will change how you live. If you change your foundation, you will change your life. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter number 7 in verses 24 through 27. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on what? On the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the flood came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The wise man builds his house upon the rock, the foolish man builds his house upon the sands. And let me just tell you something the winds and the rains are going to come into your life, the waves are going to come. Will your house stand? It will only stand if your life is built on the rock and not sand. See, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest thing, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. What was the foundation of Abram's life? What was the thing that helped him in the storms of life? What's going to hold him together to allow him to not move on the basis of fear, but in love and in faith? And that's two foundations. The first foundation is the promises of God. In verse 14, we read that the Lord took Abram up. Scholars say that he took him up on a mountain. And he said, lift up your eyes and look everywhere you go, north, south, east, and west. All that you see is yours. You can walk the length of it. You can walk the breadth of it. You can go up and down it. It will be yours. And it will be your descendants. Your descendants, he says, will be like the dust of the earth. See, when Abraham gave this decision to the Lord, when he trusted the Lord with it, it was as if Abraham gave up his seat on the bus. And now what does God do? God gives him the keys to the bus. And so verse 18, what does Abram do when God makes his precious promise that everything you see is yours? Verse 18, the Bible says that Abram moved his tent. He followed God. His tent pegs were not too deep where he was. He immediately obeyed. He immediately believed that God had it all under control. And what did he do? He built an altar to the Lord. And in that altar, he worshiped the God of the promises, and he rested on those promises even though he was still old and childless. He worshiped the God who gave him promises even though he hadn't seen any of those promises fulfilled. See, Abram could let God choose for him because he trusted that God was going to keep his promises. Do you realize that the entire Christian life is based on living on the promises of God? Without the promises of God, we have no Christianity. The promises of God are the very foundation of your faith. And so think about this. The promises of God are just history that hasn't happened yet. Think about that. The promises of God are just history that hasn't happened yet. You know, some of you maybe binge watch television shows. Some of you maybe you are in different kinds of seasons. Uh, some of you, you know, you stay up late because you just can't stop watching well, I, I was uh, recently in the, in the middle of a, of a series um, and um, it's one of those, it wasn't bad, so don't think it was bad. It wasn't something crazy. I won't tell you what it was. No, I'm just kidding. It was called Poldark. Have you ever heard of the show called Poldark? It's PBS. If you haven't, some of, you, some of the ladies know because they like the actor that's in Poldark. But when you know that it has six seasons and you're in season three. And you know at the sixth season, the dude's still alive. You can watch season three and go through all the bad stuff because you know the guy's still alive. You can go through season four, season five, all the way because you know, listen, even though in the middle of this, it looks like everything is over and and this guy's going to die or he's going to be ruined, you can trust it because you know that there's a future ahead because you know that if they kill him in season three, it's not going to be much of a show in season six, right? Right? well, you have been given the promises of God and you don't know how the, the story of your life is going to play it out, but you can trust the promises of God. You can take it to the bank that he who began a good work is going to complete it. That the promises of God are just history that hasn't happened yet. See, Abraham received the precious promises of God, that God says, "I'm going to bless you," and just like Abraham, we have received the precious promises of God, and one of the greatest is this, is Romans 8:28. You know Romans 8:28? Let's say it all together. For we know that those who love God, all things work together for, for those who are called according to His purpose. Listen, the promises of God are not all things are going to turn out OK. It's not that God says all things are going to turn out so-so. All things are going to turn out for good. What's the all things? That's all things. In this passage of Scripture, all means all, and that's all all means. All things, that's good things, that's bad things, that's neutral things, all things are going to work together for good. Now, you may not see how they work together for good. You think about the life of Abraham. He never really saw it all. He never saw his descendants like the sand of the sea. He never saw never knew all that we know today. And you in your life may never see the evil of your life turned to good, but you can trust that it will. I love what John Piper said. John Piper said that God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may only be aware of three of them. Think about that. God is doing thousands upon thousands of things in your life. He's fulfilling his promises and working out his plans in your life, and you may only be aware of three of the things that he's doing in your life. And where you cannot see his hand, you must learn to trust his heart and trust in the promises of God. Because if you do not base your life on the foundation of the promises of God, when the winds come and the waves come and the rain comes, your life's going to fall apart. His foundation was the promises of God because he was looking for a city, right? But also the love of God. The love of God. See, Abram could trust in the promises of God because he had experienced the love of God in his life. You know, it is hard to trust someone's promises to you if you don't trust their heart for you. Like, if you don't think somebody loves you or cares for you, why are you going to believe a word that they say? You think about that in politics. How do you know a politician is lying? They open their mouth, right? Right? You can laugh about that. That wasn't a Democrat or Republican thing. That was just a truth statement. <laughs> it's hard to trust somebody's promises if you don't trust that they love you. You know, some of you that when you when I, I know when I got married, I was in love. And some people say, you know what? Um, it's just the love you have when you're first married. It's so amazing. Here's what I've learned and. In how long have I been married? In 12 years of marriage. <laughs> I love my wife more now than I loved her when I got married. And w- when you're early in marriage, you love each other. And it's all this ooey-gooey, you know? Some of you that are newlyweds in the room or watching online, it's just ooey-gooey, lovey-dovey. But you go through these awkward moments where you have to it has to be more than just love it's got to be trust right And and you learn to trust this person because you see that this person is actually for you and if you're in a healthy marriage as your marriage grows your trust in the other person is going to grow because the love that you have for each other has been tested and has been proven true You follow what I'm saying here so you can go to your husband, you can go to your wife and say, listen, you may not understand all that I'm doing, but I need you to trust me in this. And so they, a, a few months ago, I, I made a decision for our family, a, a financial decision of something. And, and, and I came to my wife and, 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 you know, I asked her what she thought. And, and, and I told her, I said, honey, I've got the right motivations. I've got the right things. You, you don't have to question my motives because here I am, you know, I want to make sure. And she looked at me and, and it was a very profound way. And she said, listen. I love you. I trust you. How can someone do that? Because there is a relationship of trust. There's a relationship of love. The longer you are together, the more you trust each other. And here's something else I've found Uh, some people say that the longer you live with someone, the more you look like them. And Mike Audrey is scared. (laughs) Abraham trusted in God's promises. Because he knew God's heart towards him. You say, how do we see that in this text? You have to go back and read verses 1 through 4. Because we didn't go through the end of chapter 12. But Abraham sinned against God. God said, trust me. Follow me. I'll provide for you. I'll protect you. But just the first instance of trouble. And what did Abraham do? He took off. You know, I've seen this with a lot of new Christians. They trust God, they love God, they get baptized, they get involved in the church, and one bad thing happens and they get out of church. And they get back into the world. Well, that's what happened to Abraham. Instead of trusting God, he went down to Egypt because he thought he would get provided for and cared for more by the Egyptians than he would by God. But guess what happened? He failed. And it was a disaster. But yet, God protects him through it all. And what Abraham learned in Egypt was this, is that God loved him even though Abraham didn't always trust him. Aren't you glad he does the same for you? Aren't you glad? And so what Abram does once he comes out of Egypt with his tail tucked between his legs is the Bible says that he deliberately goes back all through. He retraces the steps where when he first called upon the Lord, He went back to those places. He went back to Bethel. He went back to Ai. He went back to these altars that he had built to the Lord. He deliberately goes back to the place where it all went wrong. He went back to the spot where he had last obeyed and he repented and returned to the Lord and was forgiven. And there he receives the love of God. See, Abraham's foundation was not based on his performance for God, but ultimately on God's performance for him. It was built on the grace of God, not his good works. God forgave him, blessed him, and still loved him despite his flaws and his failures. And listen, my friends, that has to be the foundation of your life. The love of God must be the foundation upon which you build your life upon, not to gain acceptance from God, but out of acceptance from God. And so if you have made a decision based in fear and not in faith, the best thing that you can do is retrace your steps back to the place of grace. Back to the place where you first called upon the name of the Lord. Go back to the place where you trusted and return to the one who loves your soul. And that's what Abram did. And let me just let you in on a secret. He still is going to goof up. Just because you make a decision by faith doesn't mean you're not going to goof up. But guess what he did? Every time he sinned, he went back to the Father. Every time he fell away, he went back to God. And you can do the same if that's the basis of your life. Look at this story. Lot looked to the land to give him everything he could ever want. He looked to the land to be that missing part of his heart. But it didn't work. Abraham looked to the Lord and got everything he needed. Think about this. Lot thought he was getting the garden, but without God, he got the wilderness. Abraham thought he was getting the wilderness, but with God, it was a garden. You remember what Bob Goff said? He says, every decision we make is driven by love or by fear, and who we toss the keys to will determine where we end up. Who are you tossing the keys to? Are you tossing it to fear, thinking that you've got to get all that you can and can't all you get here in this nasty world, thinking that it will fulfill you? Or are you tossing the keys to the one who truly loves you, to the one who cares for you? You say, Pastor, how do I know that Jesus loves me? Well, Jesus loves me this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And the Bible tells us that there was a day that Jesus was given a decision Jesus was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he was tempted. He was hungry. He was weary. And at one point, the devil took Jesus up on a mountain, just like God took Abraham up on a mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And in that moment, he said to Jesus, all this can be yours. No need to suffer. No need for the cross. No need for loss. You just bow down, worship me, and it's all yours. And Jesus faced a choice. Would he choose fear and make a shortcut to the kingdom without any fear of suffering or loss or pain? Or would he choose love? And guess what Jesus did? You know what he did. He chose love. He said, no deal. I came to lose everything so that they can gain everything. See, he chose to love us rather than leave us. And because Jesus chose to love us rather than leave us, we can choose to love and trust him to give him the keys of our life. See, think about this. Because Jesus lost it all for us, we get it all from him. Abraham gave up his wealth to have a relationship with Lot. Jesus gave up his wealth and his comfort so that he could have a relationship with us. Jesus became poor so that we can become rich. Oh, how deep. The Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. Listen, this message may not have made as much sense to you as I'm struggling this morning even to preach. But I know that God's Spirit is moving. When I'm weak, He's strong. And so, if you get nothing else, here's what I want to ask you. Who are you going to toss the keys to in your life? Are you going to toss it to fear Or to the love of Jesus. Some of you right now, you need to surrender your life to him. Just this morning at the end of the service, I spoke to a a lady that I have been witnessing to for two and a half years. And she came this morning. And I looked at her and I said, you need, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? And she says, no, I need to. And she left and met with one of our ladies. And I haven't heard word yet, but I'm praying she has surrendered her life to Jesus. That could be you today, that you've been trying all your life to fulfill and to get satisfaction and to be loved and to be valued, and you're finding it, trying to find it in the things of this world, but it could be found today in Jesus. Maybe you need to make a decision to publicly identify with Jesus through baptism because Jesus publicly identified with you on the cross. Maybe you need to take that step. I'm not going to be bound by fear. I'm going to step out in love because I'm willing to say I'm unashamed of Jesus. Maybe you need to step out in faith and obey the call to serve others, to be involved in our community and uh, service here in, in, in Central through 4th Central Florida. Maybe it's to serve at Midway Elementary at the beach club that starts on Monday. Or maybe it's to help serve women that are in need or in crisis. Or maybe it's to financially give. Whatever God is calling you to do, listen, we can step out in faith. And we can serve others because Jesus stepped out of heaven to serve us. See, faith calls us to leave the known for the unknown. To believe in the God of the impossible. And to take our hands off of our lives to be a blessing to others. So whether you're online or in the room, choose love. Choose grace. Have the foundation of your life. Be the promises of God and the love of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Thank you for your word. God, do a work through your word that I couldn't do. God, as I I struggled and, and stammered this morning, God, your spirit is going to be strong. So, Father, if there's someone online or here in the room or on the radio that needs to make a decision for you, Lord, let your spirit move. Father, if there's someone that needs to step out and maybe they're going through a tough decision and they're defaulting to fear when they should look to you in faith, knowing that you love them and you have promised them you'll work it out for good. Lord, help us to trust you more. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Central Stanford Podcast. For more information or how to take your next step Visit us online at centralsanford.net.